Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, an urgent plea for blood donations. We're also starting National School Choice Week. But we're going to start off hearing from Marisa Burke. After several years, she's published her book titled Just Keeping Scores. She joins Odyssey Sue Henry to talk about the memoir, which chronicles the respect she received during her broadcast journalism career at WNEP-TV, the idyllic life raising her daughters with the man of her dreams, and then the betrayal and public humiliation that she hopes her story will help others who may find themselves in the same situation. We thought we would do something a little bit special today because we had a great opportunity to have Marisa Burke with us. So of course we seized the day. Hey lady. Good afternoon, Sue. It is wonderful to be here. I feel like I'm in a fever dream. How about this? Yeah. It's so strange, isn't it? Mark Davis doing the news and you're back on the on the airwaves and And you're back on the airwaves. <laughs> it's it's so unusual. So we have a lot of catching up to do, but the the reason that you're here is you're on a book tour of northeastern Pennsylvania. We were here together a few years ago. I'm thinking it was maybe when did you retire? I believe it was right after I retired from WNEP in the fall of 2016. And I think I was here right after that. And you talked about when you were here writing a writing book. Writing a book. Well, guess what? It is. It has been published. And I'm doing a two-week book tour across northeastern and central Pennsylvania. And in a matter of hours, I'm so excited about this, I will be in back in my hometown of Danville. Uh, and uh, what I'm hearing is that there there are lots of people who are waiting for me down there tonight. I'm just I'm just so humbled and great, grateful for for everyone who's who is turning out for the tour so far. Now, of course, uh, your book is about your career, of course, which was very prestigious here in northeastern Pennsylvania with WNEP, where uh, you really did it all. You know, you you started out at what on the six forty five a.m. show. Right. It was a morning newscast that started at six forty five in the morning and went to to seven, and then it expanded to six thirty. And Frank Andrews was my co anchor, and um, and that took place. Uh, well, let's see. I started at sixteen in nineteen eighty four. 
and and then uh, I was on the morning shift for three three and a half years, and then the station was so gracious um, and and elevated me, promoted me to a, a better, a more prestigious anchor positions at at five, and then in 1990 I eventually uh, when Karen Harch left, and you probably remember Absolutely. her and your listeners probably remember as well uh, a consummate professional and she she was my mentor um and um she left in 1990 for personal reasons she had married uh, the sportscaster here in the area and uh, it was on a friday when she left and uh, that day the news director at the time pulled me in and said come monday you will be sitting in the six and eleven o'clock co-anchor chair with nolan the late nolan johannes what was that like? Uh, it, I was so nervous. I, I really was. And and the, the book details how I have always. I haven't had a lot of confidence with anything. I'm 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 I've constantly been been filled with self doubt on on everything. And I, I felt, you know, I'm only 29 years old. How could this be happening? I'm I'm thrilled and excited and I'm honored, but. I don't know if I am ready. I'm, and I thought I'm still so green. I still know. I still need to learn so much about journalism and talking with people and interviewing and reporting, and learning the the area again. So, um, yeah, it was it was a nervous time. You had a, a guy with you though, uh, who was there. She is so modest. Yeah, Mark Davis me. is. I have known Marisa Burke for more than forty years. She may have been that way on the way in, but she certainly wasn't that way on the way out. Because this woman, I don't know if people know this, but when she was the anchor at, toward the end of her career, you were also producing, producing. and acting as a somewhat executive producer. Right. So she'd be in the meetings all day long with the reporter saying, no, go, you have to get this, you have to check that, you have to do this. Because we, along with Frank, came from the Bob Absher, the late Bob Absher, School of Journalism, which was do it one way, his way, which was the right way. And Bob Reynolds learned from him. I learned from him. You did. And it was just, and you, you talk about this in the book because I've, I'm three quarters of the way through it. And I told you in the hallway, you need to get this book. It is incredible what this woman has been through and what she took the time to chronicle. It's just unbelievable. Believable. We were talking before about some of the things, and I know you'll get into the, the plot and the whole thing, but what she has done is just an incredible personal achievement to get through what she went through and then to document it in this book. Especially when you're in the, the, the public eye. The I public mean, eye. everybody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was a, a media personality. I was, I was a top-rated local news anchor at one of the top-rated ABC I still have the, the framed country. copy mm-hmm. of Broadcasting Magazine that the Shelburns, who owned the station, gave to the entire staff when we became the highest-rated local newscast in the nation. And they framed these copies of Broadcasting Magazine, the cover, and gave it to all of us. I still have mine mm-hmm. because the numbers will never, ever, ever be seen again. Mm-hmm. 60, 70 percent of the televisions in northeastern and central Pennsylvania at six o'clock were tuned into Channel 16. And it was amazing. So you're, you know, you're sitting on top of the world and you have not only that you have the, the best career in, in the area, 
but you're married to what you think is a, a wonderful person and then you have two beautiful children and you're living in the big home and you're making uh, you have a contract that's it's a six-figure contract so all this is happening and then all of a sudden and this is what my memoir is about is everything just comes crashing down everything that I thought was going so well came crashing down and the whole thing is Marisa is a northeastern Pennsylvania native. She's from Danville. So that was the neat thing. When we first met over the telephone before she came into town, it was like she was coming home. Graduated from Ithaca, had been working in Roanoke, Virginia, and we just got to know each other over the phone before she even came here to start that 6.45 a.m. job. But having been from the area, grew up here, and then got a chance to work at Channel 16, there is nothing like it Mm -hmm. to work in your home area on the number one television station sue i've been off the air for more years than i can count and people say you're the guy from tv (laughs) well and that will happen to us for the rest of our lives remember the 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 bureau and this is where i think i met you the the bureau in wilkes-barre the little closet there on the bicentennial building the first floor yep yep and um but i i looked at i looked at mark and i thought Wow, you know, there he's he's been here. He is an established journalist. He's working for for Channel 16. Oh gosh, you know, and I and I looked up to, you know, folks like Mark and and Karen and Karen Nolan, Hart, yeah, Nolan and you know, the the late Timmy Carlson. I mean, he was doing yeah. sports. Yeah. I mean, it's just it was it's a it's a family at Channel 16. And it always was, but but everybody is you, you, is so talented when it comes to news. And we take the responsibility so to heart that, I mean, Frank and I talk about it all, all a lot of times. We are so lucky, and I will be fortunate to the day I die, that I work there in what we call the golden age of local television. With the segmentation of all the different services now and all the different sources, it will never, ever be like that again. And we're just fortunate to have been there. And it's a mantle that you carry proudly, but you also feel the weight of that mantle when you carry it. And when you put in what Marisa went through on the personal side of her life to A, survive it, B, to get through it, and to do as well as she has done, and then to write about it. Wow, that's accomplishment on top of accomplishment on top of accomplishment. It's just incredible. And words, whatever you guys talk about this afternoon cannot do this book justice. Because I thought I knew you and I've known you for a long time. And we've been dear, dear friends for a long time. But when I read this book, I thought, how the heck did she do this? I guess we're about to find out how the heck did she do it. I want you to know that uh, Marisa Burke is our guest. The book that she has written is called Just Checking Scores. And we'll talk about how that, I kind of have a suspicion about how that title came about, but we'll talk a little bit about, you know, you go from um, reporting the news to actually being a subject of the news. And and in a most unfortunate way, because I always say this, Marisa, and I think that it will hold true forever for some people, you didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you have all these burdens that crash down on you even though you didn't do anything. Exactly. And, and, and it so was because of, of who I was. People that we were accustomed to meeting all the time, attorneys, district attorneys, U.S. attorneys, state police, FBI agents, then didn't look at Marisa as a member of the media. She was a 
part of a criminal investigation. Mm -hmm. So now, instead of getting a call from one of those people about a story, she's, they're saying, come down to the courthouse at 1 o'clock. All right, we'll and continue. And bring an attorney. Mark, thank you, okay. as always. Sorry, sorry to horn in no, here. No, it's, it, it's so fascinating to see <laughs> this reunion just kind of happen organically. Yes. And, and, you know, you two have known each other forever, and it's really interesting to hear your take on reading this book and, yeah. and finding out things that, although you were very close, you did not know. No. And, and, and she couldn't share until she wrote the book. And, exactly. And, and for you to put them over. in the book, is, yeah. that's remarkable. And it, that not everybody would take that chance. <laughs> it's so good of you to, to come in and, and make us part of your book tour. And like I said, later on, we'll tell people where they can see you. So you have this, this storybook life you when did you marry your husband i married him in 1994 i had uh two years before that i had just returned from covering the national republican convention in houston and thoroughly exhausted and a mutual friend of ours had contacted me and said i know you're exhausted i know you're tired but is there any way there's there's a guy that i went to high school with and and um is there any way that maybe we could do a a blind date kind of thing at my house and i said well okay i was i was a bit curious uh and that's how it happened i came back from the convention that august and i had dinner at my friend's house and he was there and he was just uh just the most charming individual, tall, dark, and handsome, as they say, um, educated. He was, he was uh, at the time, uh, in the process of getting his doctorate degree in education. So he was very well-spoken, and his sense of humor, I think I fell in love with his, his sense of humor because he was, he was absolutely hysterical. And he had that electrifying personality. He'd walk into a room, and everybody would just gravitate to him. And it was, it was and six months later, after I met him, he proposed, and it was in July of 1994 that we got married. How long did that honeymoon last with you before you maybe had an inkling or somebody told you that maybe there was something a little bit off? Oh, the honeymoon lasted for quite some time. I mean, he was, he was, um, it was it was great. It was a great time. Again, he his his sense of humor and his personality. It was just amazing. And I thought, oh my gosh, I really did marry the man of my dreams. And he he taught in the area, and his students were just thrilled to have him as a professor. Um, and this went on for quite some time. And it wasn't not long after that I found out I was pregnant with my first child, and everything just fell into place. It was just. A wonderful time, both personally and professionally. And when did, when did you have a feeling, or, or what happened that changed your perception? Because it sounded—I mean, you could hear it in your voice. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he was quite charming and uh, very—you know—he was. He 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 was just—he was a terrific guy. He was a terrific husband and a and a wonderful father. I mean, Sue, remember, there were many, many years there that I had to work the, the, the late shift because I was anchoring the 11 o'clock news. And we had young girls, and uh, I was not home. It was, it, but he picked up the slack. He was there. He, he fed them dinner. He would put them to bed. He, he did a lot of the nurturing. And, and, you know, for that, I will be, in that respect, I will be grateful 
gift to him for the way he raised our girls because we we do have two beautiful children and uh i i will i will be grateful to him for that so when when did something change or what changed can you recall when something didn't seem right yeah well the the book uh just checking scores is actually there are two major events in the book the first event occurred in 2008 when he uh he had trouble he ran into trouble with the law he had some folks over and um we found out that there was an underage uh person who showed up at the house um, started drinking and the trouble just escalated from there it the, the then the it went to the da's office and i remember in the newsroom um getting a phone call from him i was working when i got a phone call from mark and he said honey um i may be in some trouble remember the remember mother's day weekend when you took the girls to danville to see your mom well that weekend i had some guys over and this 17 year old uh got into the house and he started drinking and even though he left he was out all night when he got home he told his mother that he was at our house all night so he ratted me out it has gotten to the district attorney's office and i may be in some trouble with the law so it started in 2008 but sue that was the story that he conveyed and it kind of paralleled what was also in the affidavit of probable cause so i believed him i had no reason not to believe him i thought my word um it's this young guy you know underage really creating trouble for my husband and he wants to take him down he wants to take me down and um that's where it all uh happened and started in 2008 but and then the dynamics change and the dynamics change in the book as well then four years later in 2012 when i thought things had quieted down uh boom then it then the trouble really occurs That's Marisa Burke joining Odyssey's Sue Henry talking about her recently published memoir, Just Keeping Scores. Coming up next on Special Edition, the betrayal and public humiliation that Marisa has been facing and that she hopes her story will help others who may find themselves in a similar situation. That's next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Now we return to Odyssey Sue Henry and her guest, Marisa Burke. Marisa talking about her recently published book, Just Keeping Scores. Marisa Burke, who is on a book tour. Her book is Just Checking Scores. Do you know her from her very long career with WNEP where she just fascinated people with the way she did the news and the roles that she had in in management and in supervision and teaching people how to do it the right way, which, boy, do we need need that more than ever now in news. That's well, there's a whole new generation of journalists. And um, yeah, I, I, and I think if they had some more mentoring and that's uh, that, see when when I was at 16, there was time to mentor. There was time for executives in the newsroom to teach. And there's not that time anymore because so there are so many newscasts. So, <laughs> well, there, there sure are. It's almost like on the job training now. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. in the past it was done 
differently. differently. Mm-hmm. But uh, now it's for a new generation, so we'll let them have it. Her book is called Just Checking Scores. And we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, your husband had this brush with the law. And uh, th- you read the criminal complaint and you looked at it and, and you thought, okay, well, this, this seems to add up to what you were told. Right. And but, there were, right. And there were other things that happened in 2008 that um, it, it just, and this is all in the book, um, but they, they, it seemed as though there were indications that it's, it appeared as though there was a prosecutorial witch hunt against m- me and my husband because of who we were. We were, we, and we were a power couple. I mean, he was a Scranton school board director. He was on several educational boards, uh, not only here, but across Pennsylvania and in other parts of the country. Uh, Well-respected and admired educator in northeastern Pennsylvania. Then there's me. Very well-respected, again, um, uh, an established news person. So, and, but then there were indications as, as during the investigation in 2008, and nothing was turning up. Nothing else was turning up. So we thought, okay, well, it was a, just a bad misfortune, and we will leave it at that. And boy, was I wrong. Why would you think that there was some sort of a witch hunt going on or, or some kind of, um, you know, something to take you down? What, what made you think that? Well, there were, there were certain things that had happened during the investigation that, um, including a raid at our home where they confiscated our electronics, computers, iPads, a lot of things. And um, they, were, they were doing a forensic search. Um, thinking, you know, based on their suspicions, um, and nothing turned up, and that that's in the book, and how that all played out, and what had happened, and my reaction, and how angry I was at the prosecutor's office for for putting me and my family in this kind of turmoil. I, I again, it's all in the book, but I I detail how they even forced me to take my two daughters to the Children's Advocacy Center in Scranton to be examined. And, you know, as a mother, Sue, you're you're taking your daughters into, you know, a place that has that kind of image where, you know, there there could be neglect or uh, physical abuse or, or sexual abuse among children. I mean, remember all the stories that we did with, you know, connected to the Children's Advocacy Center. It usually has that connotation. So there I am holding the hands of my two girls and we had to do this. So that the incident that happened you know kind of blows over and then blows over then in the fall of 2012 it was the month of october um i I thought it was so strange because morning after morning we would get up and our property would be filled with people who had placed tissue paper around our bushes and around everything and i knew we it was just it was a couple of weeks out from halloween and i'm thinking maybe it's halloween related but i'm looking around our neighborhood in peckville and i'm thinking well nobody else is seeing this then after about a, a couple of nights uh i wake up in the morning to find eggs all over our front door and our porch and I turned to my husband Mark and I said 
what something is definitely wrong here okay why are we being targeted i think we need to call in the authorities then it calmed down a bit but it wasn't long after that where and this is how my book begins is it was a few days before election day in the beginning of november i had just anchored the new news i was walking away from the studio, back to my desk. It was at that time I did not take my cell phone with me um, because I, I thought it was a distraction. So I walked back to my desk and I noticed that there was a voicemail left by, by my neighbor who lived right across the street from me. And he said, Marisa, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm looking out my window and the FBI the, the uh, DA's office, the state police, the local Blakely police, they have your home surrounded and it looks like they're breaking down your front door. What a riveting storyteller you are. This is so fascinating. And I'm sorry that it's a painful part of your life, but the way you tell it, it's just very captivating. You talk about anchoring the news, going to your desk, seeing a message on your phone that the authorities were surrounding the home where you lived with your family. Mm-hmm. And right after that, I had to inform newsroom management. I, uh, and I, at this point, I, I was, it was just everything was spinning. And I, I walked, I remember walking into the news director saying, I, you know, I'm hearing that there is some police activity in my neighborhood without giving anything away. I said, is there anybody else who can cover the six o'clock news today? Because I better go home and check and see what is going on. By the time I, and I remember that ride, that, that 20 minute ride to Peckville, which seemed like two months and I drove the car into the neighborhood, and it was eerily quiet. I thought I would see some sort of law enforcement presence, but I, I turned. There's only one way in, one way out of our development, and I, I turned in into the driveway, and still nothing. And then when, I, when the garage door went up, I saw that Mark's car was there. All the while, I was trying to call him to find out what was going on because at that time he was kind of working from home because he had changed careers, of course. And uh, But I was trying to call him and call him and call him and nothing. So when the garage door went up and I saw that his car was in the garage, I walked in and said, you know, I I was trying to call you for the past half hour. What is going on? I got a message from the neighbor across the street saying that the house was surrounded. And he turned to me and he said, well, yeah, they I and I was upstairs. So when I heard the knock on the door, I I thought I was on my way, but they didn't give me a lot of time. So that's when they broke down the door. And I and I said, well, what did they want? Well, they wanted to do a search of the house. And I said, again? And I, you let them in without signing anything, without calling an attorney, without crying for help. And he said, well, what was I supposed to do? So um, 
that night, it kind of, and again, it's all detailed in the book of, of how the rest of that day played out. But I finally, and it's, it's in chapter 14, where the, the whole dynamic changes. And we're both just alone in my, my kitchen, and I confronted him. And that's when I said, and, and he admitted that he was sexting underage boys and using his phone and also using social media to send lewd messages. And I looked at him and I said, so you did this knowing full well that it was against the law. And he said, yes. And then that's when I did the shaking of the hands like you do when you absolve yourself from wrongdoing. And you just, and I looked at him and I said, well, now you are on your own. I can't go through this agony and anguish like I did four years ago and, and still support and defend you. I cannot do it again. Now you are on your own. And then after that, Sue, everything just escalated. And then the feds got involved and, you know, the rest is history. But it's all in the book and a lot of detail. We will go over your itinerary because I'm sure when people hear you speaking now, they will want to hear more and they'll want to come out and meet you and, and talk to you. And, and I bet a lot of people are thinking, I have someone to share my story with. Now, I'm sure you're not the only one this ever happened to. And I'm sure that uh, that's going to help other people heal. And we're talking about Maurice's book, Just Checking Scores, which is out now. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. When you faced the public for the first time last week, were you nervous? I was. Um, but, you know, it's 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 a story of how I endured public humiliation um, when his secret sex life was exposed and how my name was dragged into his scandal and and how I actually had to anchor the same newscasts where his misdeeds were reported and what I had to do basically to save my career because there were several times I thought I was a goner at Channel 16. I thought, no, this station is not going to tolerate any of this because they also have, they have an image to uphold. And, um, and then what I had to do personally to save, you know, to salvage the lives of my of my two daughters, it, it was excruciating. I mean, like like somebody had said, you know, it it was an idyllic life that 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 collapsed like a, a house of cards, and I went from being respected to to you know to being shamed in a big kind of way when when his secret life was exposed and and the thing is i mean he had conned me so much you know he he wanted me to believe only what what he wanted me to believe um but he fooled me he fooled me big time because he, of the you know again as i mentioned earlier he was he, in the beginning he was charming and and personable and funny and he, he had me conned. He really had me conned. Let's talk a little bit about the disposition of this case. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, there, there are so many emotions that, 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 uh, that I felt, uh, you know, between 2008 and 2012. And, um, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm just hoping, you know, in the time that we have left that I'm hoping that I can I can empower 
others and primarily women if should they find themselves in the same kind of predicament um, if they should find themselves the victim of somebody else leading a double life and that was my whole goal with this book I mean I I this book was not meant for any kind of revenge but I think it was more a project of, of redemption and reckoning for me because I certainly state in the book my mistakes as well i made mistakes and they're spelled out in the book i i all i did make mistakes but um you know he and 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 at some point i i i'm thinking I'm, i look back and and think you know perhaps i didn't know because i did not want to know you know i had this perfect perfect life and there I am all of a sudden, you know, as we got closer to 2012 and there were some, a, a couple of things. But remember, he, he was the ultimate con man. He had me fooled. He really, really did. He's incarcerated. He's incarcerated. Yes. He's, he's, uh, he was sentenced to 14 and a half years in federal prison, due out in three. Um, I'm often asked, is there any communication between him and me or, or my daughters? And the answer is no. Um, once he left, he tried to send some letters to my daughters, but they had, um, they had no, they have had no communication with him. Was this cathartic for you to write this book? Did this help you? Uh, it was it was very, very difficult. Um, I, I, you know, you and I had seen each other, you know, f- uh, several years ago when I discussed with you, wow, I'd love, I'd love to write a book in the hopes of helping others. Um, and there were many times where I just put the book aside and said, you know what? I don't think I can get through it. I don't think I can finish it. I don't think I can complete it because it's just too painful. Every time I'm, I'm picking, I'm, I'm, I'm going the layer after layer of editing. I'm reliving the nightmare again. I'm reliving that turmoil. Marisa Burke and uh, talking about your book, Checking Scores. Uh, good luck with your tour and thank you very much for coming in. It is my pleasure. Thank you, Sue, for having me. Absolutely. Thanks once again to Odyssey's Sue Henry and her guest, Marisa Burke. Marisa talking about her recently published memoir, Just Keeping Scores. It's available at Amazon.com. Coming up next, National School Choice Week on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Up next, Andrew Campanella. He's the president of National School Choice Week. That's January 23rd through the 29th, and he has all the details. Andrew, here we are. We're talking once again about National School Choice Week. So much has changed in the past year. What do you have to say about all this, especially with this week coming up? We are seeing more families choosing schools for their kids than ever. It has been stunning. 51% of parents said that they are considering or in the past year have considered finding a new or different school for their kids. And they are looking at their public, charter, magnet, private, online, and home education options. Of the 49% of families who didn't look at schools, 18% of those families say they plan to start in advance of the 2022-2023 school year. So we are in a situation where families want options, they're exercising their options, and they want to find learning environments where their kids 
are best likely to learn, thrive, succeed, and be happy. How have you seen all of this change, especially during the pandemic? Is it more that they're going toward what the school has to offer as far as comfort for their children, through classes, through what exactly are you finding that might be different this year because of what all the kids have been going through? There are a few reasons that the pandemic has really upended K-12 education. And the two main reasons are the disruptions caused by COVID and the uncertainty about whether or not schools will be open or closed and confusion among parents about how those decisions are being made. That is one of the biggest concerns. When you see schools closing at 11 p.m. the night before classes on a Monday, Parents, especially those who are working, have to scramble and have to figure out what they're going to do. Because for parents of young children, it's not so easy for those kids to log on to emergency remote learning. And if you have multiple kids in your household, you have to have a lot of devices and great internet access. So parents want more predictability, and the vast majority of parents want a predictable return to in-person learning. But there are also families out there, and this is a significant number of families, who are using this time of uncertainty as an opportunity to find a learning environment that is of better educational quality, where they believe their kids can learn more. And this is important because families are concerned that their kids have lost out on essential learning over the last 24 months, and they don't want them to be missing skills they need to succeed in the real world. So the pandemic has motivated families to look at their options, and it's also motivated states to expand the choices available to moms and dads. And is that exactly what school choice means? That is a great question. School choice is exactly that. It is parents going through the process of finding the best school or learning environment for their child regardless of the type of school they choose. It's moms and dads looking around at traditional public schools in their district, public schools outside their district, magnet schools, charter schools, private or faith-based schools, full-time online schools, or full-time homeschooling. School choice is not about saying that one type of school is better than every other type of school for all kids, but instead, It is about saying that moms and dads know best what environments would be right for their kids. So let's say somebody is hearing you talk about this now and they're saying, well, I don't have to worry about school choice or national school choice week because my kids, I, we're all happy with everything that goes on in where we are. Does that make a difference? Well, it does in a way. So. First of all, I'm happy that you're happy. That is great. And people who are happy with their child's school, they should use School Choice Week as an opportunity to let other families know about their experiences with the school that they really love. Thank your child's teachers. Go and volunteer at that school. Write a letter to the editor and praise the work that school is doing. Educators are heroes. And when you're having a good experience, People need to hear about it because too often in education, we only hear when people are unhappy. So that's number one. Number two, 
School choice is still important to your family because things can change. This might be a good environment right now, but it might not be a good environment a year from now. And you want to be able to have those choices. You want to be able to have in your back pocket, so to speak, other options that you can consider if something goes wrong. And third, school choice is a good thing for your overall community because just because that school might be a good fit for your child now and maybe into the future doesn't mean the child next door is going to benefit from the same type of school. All kids are different. Kids learn differently. They adapt differently to unique environments. So we want to match students up with schools that best meet their individual needs. So the more kids you're able to do that, the better off all kids are and the better off your community is. All right, let's take a look at Pennsylvania. Here we are in the Keystone State. Do you have anything specific for our area? Absolutely. You know, Pennsylvania has more school choice options than many other states. They can choose, families can choose from traditional public schools. Um, They can choose public charter schools. There are a lot of public charter schools in Pennsylvania. There are public magnet schools, which focus on themes like math, science, technology, the performing arts, private schools. And Pennsylvania has some of uh, the most robust private school choice financial aid programs and scholarship programs to help families afford private and faith-based schools. There are a lot of full-time free-to-attend online schools. And of course, the freedom and flexibility to homeschool your kids. And during School Choice Week, there's going to be more than a thousand events, activities, both in person and online during the week. And again, our listeners are hearing you talk about this and they're thinking about what their school is like, what their district is like, what their kids' feedback is. So if they would like more information on not only National School Choice Week, but this whole idea, which maybe for many is a different idea, where can they go for more information? They can go to schoolchoiceweek.com and we have the nation's largest portfolio of free and practical school search resources for parents. They're all broken down by state so that you can look at the specific options available in Pennsylvania. And Andrew, before I let you go, especially since we only we only seem to connect around this time during the year when National School Choice Week happens throughout the year. What are some things or advice that you would give to parents, caregivers when it does come to schools and aside from all the pandemic? What should we be looking for? So the biggest piece of advice that I have And the biggest piece of advice in our recent survey that parents who have looked at schools have for other parents who may look at schools is this. Keep the focus of the school search process on your child's needs. You, as a mom or dad, are the expert on your child. No one can take that expertise away from you, and no one can match that level of expertise that you have on what is right for your child. You are more than capable and you can get all the information you need to make a good choice for your daughter or your son. Don't let your concerns about making the wrong choice dissuade you from making any choice at all. If you run into jargon and terminology you don't understand, ask questions and give yourself enough time to go through this process. Start in January in advance of the next school year and you will have enough time to evaluate and consider all the options out there. 
Andrew Campanella, always a pleasure. And maybe we'll try and connect even before the next National School Choice Week comes along. That would be great. Thank you so much. And I've enjoyed being on. Thanks again to Andrew Campanella, president of National School Choice Week. Next, it's the president and CEO of the Red Cross, Gail McGovern, and she has an urgent plea for blood donations. Let's talk a little bit about blood donations because, again, the pandemic, COVID, all of this type of ongoing stuff has really put a big dent in Red Cross blood donations. How have you been dealing with that? Well, Paula, you are exactly right. Um, We're responsible for about 40% of the nation's blood supply, and COVID has made it very, very challenging for us. You know, normally we collect blood at schools, at college campuses, um, at various businesses, and they're, they're sponsoring fewer blood drives because of the pandemic. And we're looking at the lowest inventory that we have had uh, in uh, over a decade. And the number of new donors is going down. So we are urging people, urging people to donate blood. And if you donate blood, you'll feel really good about yourself because you'll know that you have saved somebody's life. So it's extremely important, and we're hoping all of your listeners consider making an appointment to donate blood. How can they find out about blood donations that would still be very important no matter when they happen? Well, you are absolutely right, and we would welcome your listeners to get on our website, which is redcross.org, and you can find ways to uh, donate blood and make a blood appointment. You can also find opportunities to volunteer, and you can also make a financial gift, and any gift, regardless of its size, is deeply, deeply uh, appreciated. And I have so much faith in the American public. They always step up for us, and I'm hopeful that that will happen again this year. What exactly is that money going toward? So the money that we collect from the American public helps us respond to multiple disasters. And we certainly have been experiencing them. Uh, And we respond to 60,000 disasters a year. Most of them are home fires. Um, But if you are a victim of a home fire, to you it feels like a Category 4 hurricane. So um, we are very careful with our donors' dollars. We make sure that we're putting them towards our mission. And um, as I said, every gift, regardless of size, is deeply, deeply appreciated. And along the same lines, you also mentioned volunteering. And again, that's been another area that COVID, the pandemic, has really caused a lot of problems with because people are not getting out like they were. So what kind of volunteer opportunities does the Red Cross have available? First of all, I want to thank our volunteers because they answered the call during one of the most active uh, years of extreme weather, and um, some of them actually experienced damage or destruction to their own homes. Um, volunteers can volunteer virtually, they can volunteer in person, um, they can volunteer for days on end or four hour shifts, and uh, all of those opportunities are up on our website. 
And I am just so grateful for the volunteers that helped us this year. They provided people with food, shelter, comfort, and hope. Um, and there are virtual opportunities for people to volunteer as well to do with help with case management, provide uh, health and mental health counseling. So uh, we, uh, we love our volunteers. We couldn't fulfill our mission without them. So this time of the year, again, it's almost like a double whammy for the Red Cross when it comes to blood donations because you have holiday time where people may not be donating. You have COVID time. So again, Gail, give us a brief overview of what the country's blood supply looks like right now, how people can find out about donating blood. So we are experiencing a blood shortage and um, our inventory is lower than it's been in a decade. And it's so important for people to give the gift of life. Every blood type is needed. Every unit is deeply, deeply appreciated. And um, it just makes you feel so good after you've donated blood because you have just helped save the life of a person who is in desperate need of blood. And as you pointed out, the holiday season, people get busy. They don't make the time. It is so important for people to make the time. And uh, this is the time of year where there a lot of people are on the road. So there's more car accidents, more trauma, um, and hospitals really do need blood. They need blood all year round, but during the holiday season, it becomes even more important because we need more people to turn out to donate blood. And the website is very easy to use. It's easy to make an appointment. And we also have an 800 number, 1-800-RED-CROSS, that people can call if they want to make an appointment that way. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.